Have you ever dreamed of a world where money is never an issue between you and your partner? That's ideal, but let's face it. We often find ourselves in less than perfect scenarios. What do you do if you notice your partner acting strangely with money? Confuso, ¿cierto? If so, don't worry. In today's episode, we've got you covered. Our expert guests will guide you with the essential steps to take if you find yourself dealing with financial fraud in your marriage. You are listening to Her Dinero Matters, the podcast helping Latinas have increased confidence and control over their finances. My name is Jen Hempel, and as an accredited financial counselor, my mission is to help you be more confident and simplify your finances so you can save more, get out of debt quicker, and build your wealth. Experiencing financial fraud is something nobody wishes for, particularly in your marriage. It's a situation that can steal your serenity if you're unsure of how to navigate it. Also, if you aren't fully engaged in the management of your household finances, it can lead to feelings of discomfort and shame. However, rest assured that you're not alone. There are many women who have gone through this situation. Today, we are fortunate to have Tracy Conan with us, a seasoned expert who will walk you through the nature of financial fraud. She knows her stuff as a fraud investigator and forensic accountant with over a quarter century of experience. Rest assured, you're in good hands today if you're facing this situation. So let's get started with this conversation with Tracy. Bienvenida, Tracy. I'm so excited to have you and to learn from you today and actually really get to know you as well personally. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> I know. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm interested in getting to know you a little bit more too, so I hope I get to learn something about you. Yeah, we'll learn about each other as we go. Well, we were recently connected by a mutual friend, Joe Salcihai from the Stacking Benjamins podcast, and I was intrigued by what you do. So I had to have you here. But as always, we always want to go back in time, Tracy. So if you could take us back to a moment in your life that really you consider has had a tremendous impact as to how you perceive and how you manage your money today. I think one really impactful time in my life was when I was in college. I come from very modest means. My dad worked in a factory. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And we didn't always have a lot, but we always had enough. And my parents were very focused on education. That was what was always very important to them. And they taught us that if you got an education that you had any opportunity that you wanted. You can be whatever you want, just get educated and never stop learning. I went to college and I went to a private college and my parents contributed something to my college to the extent that they could. But I did loans, grants, scholarships, you know, as much as I could borrow. I did that and then I still had to work to make up the difference. And I had friends in college who did not have to work because their parents just paid their tuition and wrote a check every semester and that was that. And there was part of me that thought, gosh, that would be really nice if I could have that situation too. But it wasn't my reality. I didn't focus on it. My reality was I always worked at least 20 hours a week, sometimes more. During the summers, I worked more than full time and also took summer classes. And I give that whole long story to get to one very short point, which was the value of hard work 
and the value of education were always very instilled in me. And at that time in my life, I was feeling them both very deeply. When I started my business several years later, my work ethic was so strong because of that. And that's really served me well my entire adulthood. Awesome. Awesome. And I'm curious to know where along that in that timeline you decided you because you became a forensic accountant. So I'm curious where in that timeline, what led you to that? I went to college to get a degree in criminology with the intention of becoming a prison warden. And my sophomore year of my criminology program, I took an elective called financial crime investigation. And that is what set me on this path. So interesting. And a prison warden out of all things. You wanted to be a prison warden. That is so interesting. Now, speaking of forensic accountants, tell us a little bit about what is a forensic accountant, especially for those that maybe maybe have an idea but aren't fully aware of what they do. I just find money. I am a fraud investigator. A lot of the work that I do is on the corporate side for companies that have executive stealing from them or for companies that have situations where they are you know, litigating with other companies or people fighting over who lost money and how much, and they need an expert to come in and kind of put that puzzle together of what happened with the money, and then I testify in court as an expert witness. So there's the corporate work, but I also do divorce work. Typically, when I'm consulting with people who are getting divorced, it is people who are wealthy, who have higher earning capacity. And we are trying to figure out if someone has hidden money, where their money has gone, things like that. So it is all about finding money. Interesting, because when we think about financial fraud, we think about someone hacking our bank account, or you mentioned working with corporate, or we think about um, someone hacking the credit card. Of course, it's more than that. And you mentioned you work with people who are about to go through a divorce where you find quote unquote, the hidden money. Now, when it comes to financial fraud, we think about those things. But how would you how do you define financial fraud? Financial fraud is some sort of theft or dishonesty with money, right? Theft and fraud aren't exactly the same thing, but 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 real close. Um, I guess theft is a subset of fraud. When it comes to relationships with your partner or spouse, we talk about financial infidelity, and that encompasses lies about the money. It might be hiding money, spending it outside of the agreements that you have with your spouse. It might be, you know, engaging in reckless spending, things like that. And when it comes to financial infidelity and the examples that you mentioned, has there been, in the times that you've worked with these clients, has there been some times that some form of financial infidelity really surprised you? Just like, give us, I'm curious to know what these, you gave us some examples, but I'm curious to know what these look like sometimes in the extreme, if it happens that way. You know, I can't say that I get surprised because I'm so used to seeing it. And what I like to say is that the methods that people use to cover up what they're doing with money aren't all that creative. And here's why. In most marriages, there is one spouse who is primarily responsible for managing the money. Now, I would prefer if both spouses would take a more active role, but it just doesn't happen. And when one spouse is in control of the money and knows that the other person isn't looking, they don't have to get creative. They don't have to go through a lot of hoops to cover up what they're doing. 
because they know their spouse isn't looking at the bank statements on a monthly basis or isn't logging into online banking. So I think that might surprise you when I say that they don't tend to get all that creative with it. You know, I certainly have had the cases where, you know, wealthy people have been, you know, stashing money overseas or something like that. Uh, but in, I like to say, 95% of the cases of divorce where they're not needing a forensic accountant, it's very run of the mill. Makes sense. When you say it that way, it def definitely makes sense. I was just curious. I'm like, oh, this would be <laughs> interesting to know about. Now, when it comes to fraud, when it comes to fraud from people that are closest to us or, or comparing to fraud like credit card fraud, right? That maybe it's just someone from the internet, someone unknown to us. What is more prevalent? What is more common in your experience? So the number of instances of that general fraud out there in the world is more common, right? It happens more often, but the fraud that occurs in these close-knit relationships is more expensive. There is a larger mm. amount of money that is taken. And why is that? It's because we trust people close to us, right? You trust your spouse to manage the money. You're not going to let your spouse control the money unless you trust them. And so the amount of money that they could hide or siphon off or spend inappropriately is really much greater than the typical fraudster out there might be able to steal through your credit card. Because like, think about it, your credit card, there's controls in place. You know, last year I got the alert that one of my credit cards was being shut down because someone did seven Instacart transactions in a row and they knew that that was a fraud pattern. And so it was stopped really quickly. I think the total damage was somewhere in the neighborhood of $300 that I wasn't responsible for. But when it's someone close to us who has, I like to say the keys to the castle, they can really take very large sums of money very quickly. It makes sense. Now, when it comes to, I know one of the things that you do is you teach people how to look for those flags, those financial red flags of fraud. What, uh, you've spoken to some of them, you know, but what, what are these red flags? So if you were asking me, what should I look out for in my marriage? If I'm concerned about my spouse potentially doing something weird with the money, I would tell you the first thing you should look for is a change in behavior. Are they acting more secretive than they used to? Are they limiting your access to information, especially if it's something that you used to have information about before? Great example, you used to be able to log into online banking. One day you go to log in, you are told you have the wrong password. You say to your spouse, hey, can I get the password? It's saying I'm locked out. And they say, you know, oh, I had to reset the password. Oh, I don't remember what it is. Don't worry about it. They stall, they won't give you access to it huge red flag. Not answering your questions about money when you have them. And then th those are, that whole change in behavior and being more secretive about money is the biggest, right. the most common red flag. I could stop talking there. There's tons of other little ones that can play into it, but I could just stop talking right there because that is the biggest warning sign you will ever see. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. And I want to talk about that one because 
when it comes to money, we it's difficult for a lot of people. It's difficult to talk about, right? It's something that you're, especially in a, in a relationship, maybe typically you're used to when you talk to your spouse about money ends up in an argument. So do you see a lot of when that maybe that person sees that big flag, that, that red flag, but is afraid to deal with it because being afraid of talking and having that conversation about money. I suppose that's very common. It is very common, but here's the interesting thing. My advice, if you saw that giant red flag and you were truly concerned about what was going on, I would actually advise you don't talk to your spouse right away. I would first advise you to gather whatever financial documentation you can legally get your hands on and secure it, whether it's copies of papers that are in the house or whether it's accounts that you still have access to online, downloading all the statements from those accounts and putting all that data in a safe place. Because what we find happens is if there is that conversation and it becomes confrontational. And if your spouse is in fact doing something shady with the money, all of a sudden documents disappear, more access is lost. And so my advice is always the first thing you do is secure whatever information you have. And I know some people think that that might feel dishonest. It's not dishonest, that's your information too. And I'm saying if you have legal access to it, secure it. Yeah, that sounds like great advice. Now, I'm also curious, too, because as you're as I'm hearing you speak, some other questions <laughs> come to mind, because as you said, typically in a relationship, one partner is managing the finances, right? And traditionally, and this has changed, traditionally, it has been the male spouse, right? It's still very much the male whether we want to admit it or not, in the vast majority of marriages, it is still the man who's managing it. Interesting. Now, the question is, so traditionally it's been the male, and you're saying it's still pretty much uh, a good percentage is, is still the male. I'm curious to know, as times have past now women have of course they're in careers some are out earning their spouses have you seen a shift especially in those situations where maybe the woman is uh, managing the finances or 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 in those situations are you still seeing the male managing those finances there's interesting dynamics at play there because the divorce cases that I've worked on where the woman is the major breadwinner, I have found a number of those times that the husband is managing the family's finances because the woman is saying he feels some sort of way because he's not the major breadwinner. So I let him handle the checkbook for us because that gives him a feeling of greater control and a contribution to the family. And I find that such an interesting dynamic there. That is, that is, because typically I would think that in those particular situations, then the other partner <laughs> uh, would take over. But And then you probably still see uh, financial infidelity in those particular, in those partnerships where the roles are reversed in terms of the woman out earning the man and all that. I see it going both ways. It's interesting because when I'm on social media and I'm on podcasts or TV interviews talking about what I do, I typically talk to women. I talk about your husband may be hiding money. How do you figure out what your husband did? And sometimes I get some hate in return because don't women hide money too? And mm. they absolutely do. Just from a marketing perspective, 
who is my market for my products and services? It is women. That is who has been approaching me for help with their divorces. But certainly the role, it can go either way. Both men and women lie, cheat, and steal. My products and services really are for either men or women, but I happen to talk more to women because in my experience, they are the ones more often reaching out for help. And as you help women who are going through a divorce or about to go through the divorce, what does your process look like? Because I know you as a, and what you do, you find the money, <laughs> you look for the money, but I'm curious to know for someone that maybe is in that situation, I would like to help them visualize what does it look like if they were to work with you? What, what does that process look like? Because they're about to go through a divorce and they have these suspicions. So I'm going to talk about this in two separate pieces. The first piece is the consulting piece. And the second piece I'm going to call the products piece. On the consulting side, that's where I'm working as a forensic accountant, working as your expert witness. Again, those divorces are probably high earners, high income, high asset people where they have complicated situations. Typically their attorney will find me will contact me, will talk about the specifics of the case, what they are concerned about, what they need to prove, so we can decide if it's a good fit. If it is a good fit, you know, they turn over to me all the financial documents. I come up with a case plan for how I'm going to approach it. And then I go through all their finances and I write an expert report in the end talking about what I did, what I found, who owes who money or where money may be hidden, things like that. And then if necessary, I will testify in court. So that's consulting. Any questions? No, that makes sense. Awesome. Then there's what I call the product side. About a year ago, I was reflecting on the number of women who call me who can't afford my help. I would like to say that in about 95% of divorces, a forensic accountant is not affordable, but it's also not needed because Normal divorces, it's not that complicated. I can show you the most likely places where your house, your spouse has hidden the money. So I created the Divorce Money Guide as a way to help all of those 95% of people in divorce who might have questions but aren't going to hire that forensic accountant. And the Divorce Money Guide is literally, you watch some videos, you get your account statements, you find the money with me telling you where to look. So in essence, you can become your own expert. <laughs> right. So, like a, a, in a sense. Yes. Yes. So I like to call it do-it-yourself for situation. Yeah. I like to call it do-it-yourself forensic accounting, but my marketing person yells at me because he says it confuses people. It sounds complicated. And what he said, your product is not complicated. Stop saying things that make people think it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. No, right. Finding finding the hidden money is a lot more, it sounds more simple than right? your own forensic account. Right. But once you know and understand it, then I think people will be like, hey, I did that. I, I can become right. a forensic accountant if I wanted to be. <laughs> well, let me give you an example of something that I teach people to do that you don't need any accounting skills or you don't even need to be good at numbers to do. One of the things we talk about is did your spouse deposit all of their paychecks into your bank account? And most people tend to have direct deposit at their jobs. Some people do, some people don't, but direct deposit can be manipulated as well. So even if you have direct deposit, don't assume that everything is fine. What I ask people to do is take the last 12 months of bank statements that they have, print them out, take a green highlighter, and highlight every paycheck that was deposited. Find out how often your spouse gets paid. For most people, they get 24 paychecks a year or 26, depending on if they get paid twice a month or every other week. 
count up those green highlights. If you go through those 12 months of bank statements and you only find 20 paychecks deposited, you know you have a problem because there are some missing paychecks. Or when you're going through and highlighting them, you might see one paycheck is half of what it normally does. You know you have to start asking questions. So that's how you might find some hidden money from paychecks. Interesting. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes and it's sense. easy. It's, yeah, it sounds easy. And, and this is really the person that uh, needs to do this is obviously the person that's not necessarily in tune of what's going on with the finances because they're not managing the finances. So this is what you suggest. But because I would think that, of course, that's not who you work with or who you help or who reaches out to are basically the demographic who may are, are most likely not necessarily find, uh, managing their finances because I just don't foresee, I would foresee that if they are managing the finances, they would see this information. Right. I would guess. Very interesting. And I'm curious to know because you've given us some really great information, but I'm wondering about if you can share some interesting stories that just kind of help us and I think you've done some yeah. of this already but just to help us picture different scenarios and um, see how either if they fit the you know fit the demographic who you serve how having someone like you in their corner would help or how using your guide can also help sure let me just talk quickly about a case that I worked on a wife was concerned that her husband was hiding money. And so I went through all of their finances and was looking at all of the spending and it all looked very ordinary. I was seeing their mortgage payments and grocery shopping and things like that. And there was nothing that had me concerned, but I found one payment to a utility company across the country from where they lived. And I thought that was unusual. And they had, they made a good bit of money. And so my first thought was, well, maybe they went like on a vacation. Maybe they stayed in a vacation home and somehow owed some money for utilities. Or maybe, maybe my client's in-laws live in that state and maybe they were helping them out and paying a bill or something. So I asked my client, hey, I see this utility bill being paid in this other state. Do you have any idea what this is for? And she said, no, that's really odd. I have no idea. I said, so you weren't on vacation. Your in-laws don't live there. No, none of that. We shouldn't be paying a utility bill in another state. We ended up needing a private investigator in this case who tracked it all down and ended up finding out that the husband had a home that he had purchased unbeknownst to his wife in that state. Once we found that home, he called it a rental home, but it really wasn't a rental home. It was where his girlfriend was living. So he had secretly purchased this property. He had established a bank account for the property that was, and the bank account was in his name only. And it was at the same bank where they had their joint checking account. And this one particular month, he accidentally paid the utility bill out of their joint account instead of his account in his name only. And that's how we discovered that he had this property. Interesting. And I just, yeah, with infidelity, I just, I don't understand why I get married. Right. But that's another exactly. conversation. That's that's for another conversation. But I'm um, right there with you. I always feel like if you want to be with multiple partners, that is a perfectly valid choice for you. Just be upfront with all of those partners so that they all know what the rules of the game are. No, absolutely. And is there anything else that you want to share with us that maybe I didn't ask you that I, that you feel is important for us to learn about or us to know when it comes to what you do as a forensics accountant? Less about me and more about action steps for people. If you've not been 
in charge of the money in your family, or if you have been involved a little bit, but you feel like you've not been involved enough, first of all, please don't have shame about this. One of the things that I see in these divorces is the women in particular feeling ashamed because they weren't watching the money. Please know that you're in the same boat as millions of other women. This is typical. And so we don't have to be ashamed of it. Again, we trust our spouses. So that's the first thing. The second thing is knowledge is power. So if you can start knowing what's going on with the money now, start gathering information, that is your first best step towards rectifying this. And then third, you don't have to have a huge time commitment. If you're married right now and you haven't been involved in the money and everything's going fine, but you want to start being involved in the money, it's about having a conversation with your spouse saying, I'd like to know what's going on. What if something happened to you? I want to make sure that I know where our money is, how the bills are paid and things like that. And then having, you know, spending, I like to say 10 minutes a month would give you some knowledge, some great knowledge that you need. So that 10 minutes a month would be looking at bank statements or online account histories. Just zip through it once a month to take a look, run down those transactions, see what your family's money has been spent on, look at the ending account balance, and you're gonna be so much further ahead than you could imagine. I love that. Those are some great tips. Well, Tracy, it's been fantastic having you here, learning about you. And one more question. Now that you've become in a forensics or that you have been working in forensics accounting, are you still interested in becoming a prison ward? Because I really, I thought that was so interesting of what you wanted <laughs> to I do. Am, I'm still fascinated by the prison system and I oh. still have a heart for finding a way to make positive change in such a difficult area of our society. But no, I there is no danger of me becoming a prison warden ever. <laughs> You're I just thought that was just so interesting. I love it. I love everything that you do. Thank you for sharing us all your wisdom here and for being here. Well, I'm honored you invited me. Thank you so much. In today's conversation, we discussed the crucial role a forensic accountant plays, especially in the context of a divorce process. We also touched upon the various financial red flags that may signal fraudulent activity by your partner within the relationship. If you find yourself suspecting your partner of financial fraud, from listening to this conversation, you know not to panic or confront them without sufficient evidence. Instead, you want to reach out to a professional such as a forensic accountant who can guide you through this difficult scenario with expertise and discretion. Also, be sure to check out Tracy's resource over at fraudcoach.com forward slash dinero. She's a wealth of information as you heard today. So I definitely encourage you again to check out this link, fraudcoach.com forward slash dinero. And that, of course, will be linked up in today's show notes. Today's conversation is interesting, but at the same time, I realize that it can be a delicate topic. If you want to ask questions, uh, make comments, share Share your experience if you feel comfortable to do so. You can do that in our private community on Facebook. And to do that, to find that, you can find the link in today's show notes. As for what's coming up next week, if you'd like to learn strategies for creating financial stability, you must listen to next week's episode. 
We will have a very special expert guest who will talk about this and more. Bueno, pues that is everything. Thank you so much for being here with us today. You can check out the show notes over at jenhemphill.com forward slash 361. That is jenhemphill.com forward slash 361. Remember, being the reina of your money starts now simply by claiming it. I believe in you and so should you. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.